Hi, this is Aaron Style, and you're listening to Your Midwest Garden Podcast. Michael Rourke, the garden guy. Uh, well, with me right now is Scott Sandstrom. He happens to be a rookie at this, even though this is his third year. How yeah, long third you year. Be a rookie. How long yeah. are you going to do that? Uh, probably another five years. <laughs> you should see his backyard. It's a tropical paradise, and we live in Northwest Ohio. Well, basically, this is your Midwest Garden Podcast, and it's called that for a specific reason, because we are located in the Midwest. Our weather, our growing patterns, our monthly uh, routines with the moons, with the seasons, only last for X amount of year, years, months. I would say, what? how long do you think we have as far as growing season, Scott? Seven months max? Let's go March, April, May, June, July, August, August September. September. And then, you know, maybe six months. Yeah. Yeah, because we follow the moon. That's have right. you seen the harvest moon lately? Yes, I have. Have you been going, oh, my God. I've been busy, so I've you, seen it. Hey, you've been busy. Where have you been? Well, and this is, I want to congratulate uh, our guest, who you're going to introduce any second now. Well, his name is Aaron Style. He happens to be the consumer horticulturalist uh, for the extension system in, uh, what? At, uh, keep going. Extension system at Iowa State and University and the entire state of Iowa. So congratulations to his football team. I was at the Iowa State-Iowa game working for the broadcast network, and uh, Iowa State beat the Big Ten team. Hey, Aaron, how about that? <laughs> yes, that is a very important game in the state of Iowa. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, you guys have no professional teams, so I know football for Iowa State and Iowa are big. I mean, I know yes. Iowa is sold out all their games already. No. Yeah, yeah. So, really? Yeah. So is campus a buzz there today? Oh, you know, it, it, that that is a very uh, important game. And this year the game was in Iowa City instead of in Ames. So we didn't quite maybe see as much uh, here in Ames. But no, it absolutely is a, is, a, is a thing for sure across the state. Well, after we were done with the game and, you know, it takes us a few hours in the pouring rain this time to uh, pack up the trucks and get out of there. We went to uh, the hotel to have a, a post meal, a post game meal. And there was some Iowa state fans staying at the hotel and they were having a good time. Yes. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so congrats to Iowa state football. And so Mike, since Aaron's chatting with us, Let's start. Uh, why? Well, bring, on, bring on why we brought Aaron along here. Well, because I want to stitch together the states. I mean, the Midwest. What states are consistent with the Midwest? Um, we've got Michigan. We've got Illinois. We've got Indiana. We've got, now I would like to say Kentucky's in the Midwest also. We've got Nebraska. Um, obviously, Ohio. Is Pennsylvania considered Midwest or East? Maybe the western part of it. Yeah, because we got ourselves Pittsburgh, where you you know come yeah, from, basically. We, we have some listeners in Pittsburgh we that are not family, by the way. Well, yeah, <laughs> so don't think there's anything going there. I won't go there. But the common denominator I'd like to hang on to, because we had a previous talk with Aaron, um, 
basically stating, you know, well, did you have this happen? Are you familiar with this? Is this what's something new? And then he asked us some questions, too. Uh, I'd like to at least find out what is the common denominators are here, as well as what we found out or what they found out can be a good control. Now, I'm emphasizing control because I don't think there's going to be any total eradication of any problems that we have in the Midwest, but there's also solutions. And there's warnings that you can give as bugs, pests type of thing progress westward. They're coming their direction, yeah. So bring along Aaron, Mike. Aaron Style, Michael Rourke, the garden guy here. You want to say hello to everybody on uh, your Midwest Garden podcast, sir? Well, hello, and I am happy to be talking with all of you here today. You know, you are not necessarily the first, but you happen to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say, since you are a university, well, why don't you explain what your uh, involvement with Iowa State University, is this a land-grant school, and is this something that basically, you know, collectively works its way from sustainability to farms? Yeah, so, um, I, yeah, I work with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach, and we are a land-grant university here in Iowa. And, um, yeah, I work with all of the county extension offices across the state to answer home gardening questions. And my goal is to share research-based information about gardening and uh, because it is, I think, important uh, for... Uh, home gardeners to be um, as sustainable as possible. Plus, I think that is an easier and better approach for a lot of gardeners anyway. Um, that is you know, uh, something that I, I try to uh, share with Iowans um, through, through extension and outreach at Iowa State. So let's discuss, if, and if that doesn't seem like much, let's discuss how many extensions and offices you work with. You gave us a number that I was just like, well, <laughs> it, it kind of really represents Iowa and the community there. So hit us with that number. Yeah, so we have 100 county extension offices in the state of Iowa that serve uh, 3 million Iowans. So... Um, there are a lot of counties in Iowa, and of course, some of them are much more uh, heavily populated than others. But um, yeah, I work with 100 county extension offices. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's got to keep you busy 24-7 and 365, <laughs> I would say. Well, my question was, how do they get in touch with, well, no, I know how they can get in touch with the extension. Is there like an 800 number old-fashioned way, or is the best way internet, or I mean, how do they get in touch with you so that they can get, you know, your 100% attention? Yeah, m most of the work that I do is, you know, through uh, online stuff. So we have kind of a, an, on a, a website for Iowa State University Extension Consumer Horticulture um, that uh, a lot of the extension offices use. And then because, of course, it's available to anybody, it is a great resource for just any gardener in Iowa or the Midwest um, that um, I try to produce as much material, as much timely material as I can uh, to put out there for extension offices to use when folks come to the office or call in or email their local office, but also for, for folks to go to directly if they want to, uh, to get their questions answered. 
Now, I know that extension was basically started for the farmers or the farming communities way back when. I want to say the turn of the last century, 1890s, early 1900s. Um, how has it transitioned now? It's not, you just basically told me that you were uh, the consumer horticulturist that basically works with home gardening. How did it yeah. transition from big farms to home gardening as well? Hmm. You know, it, Extension has always kind of had a broad focus uh, for us here in Iowa. And Iowa was the, the first land-grant university in the country. So uh, they were the first to kind of sign on to that moral act that established the extension. And yeah, uh, certainly um, agriculture was the first uh, and continues to be a big uh, part of extension for Iowa State and for the state of Iowa. But of course, there are a lot of other areas. Uh, extension plays a big role in uh, related to families and related to 4-H and agriculture too. So I work with those offices uh, across the state. Of course, gardening is a, uh, you know, I kind of joke that gardening is kind of a, an, um, a beginner or like a, a gateway, a gateway topic for a lot of people across the state. Now, how do you mean that? So it is something that a lot of folks are involved with, and it is a very popular thing, of course. And it is something that I think, apart from maybe 4-H, uh, gardening is something that a lot of folks do think of when they, when they think of extension in Iowa. And it's a great way for those offices not only to engage with their local community, but also then to hopefully kind of open up the other things that those offices do uh, for their local community because of course they do lots of wonderful things for agriculture um, and for gardening but they also are great resources for a lot of other things um, as it relates to things like understanding um, food preservation and uh, also just the many of them have these great resources in not only home economics, but also community and family kind of, you know, helping folks with, with kids and with, with home finances and uh, just all sorts of great, uh, great things. So uh, hopefully gardening can bring folks to the extension office um, and help them there, but also open them to the other great things that Extension can provide for uh, the citizens of the state. I found a, um, a post recently, it was very interesting, that one of the high schools in Iowa is offer instead of PE class, they're offering a chance for the students to go out and do um, like gardening, like weeding, mowing, and all this type of stuff for senior citizens or uh, people with uh, handicaps that um, need a little something extra. So these kids, instead of going to play, you know. Uh, dodgeball. Dodgeball. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. And instead of going to play dodgeball, get to spend some time out in the open, getting some physical uh, exercise done, and helping out uh, another a fellow Iowan. I thought that yeah. was a brilliant idea, and the amount of posts, the comments that people were like, every high school should be doing this, or every school. I mean, this is awesome. So 
Yeah, it is. And and I think, you know, stuff like that happens, of course, across across the state and the country. But it is it is kind of a um, I think really links that idea that um, I think is at the core of extension, which is um, connecting to and hopefully being a great resource uh, for the local community um, and whatever that may be for uh, for some communities you know uh, gardening is one of those big kind of connection points and um, and I think that's a great a great way for folks to uh, meet their neighbors and get connected and hopefully get some uh, great benefit from from it too. And you had mentioned to us that you also do a radio show. Is that correct? Yeah. So one of the things uh, that I get to do is uh, I frequently uh, get to be a uh, a guest uh, kind of contributor to uh, the what is kind of locally known as Horticulture Friday on Iowa Public Radio, and it's been a longstanding tradition. Uh, in the state and something that I, I know a lot of Iowans really look forward to every Friday morning. Um, we have this, uh, it's, a, it's a daily kind of weekday show for Iowa Public Radio and every Friday it features gardening. And so I get a chance to answer gardening questions and to talk about gardening across the state for Iowa Public Radio each week, which is a lot of fun. So if you're in Iowa listening to this show, jump over there mm-hmm. on Fridays also. Interesting point, and Mike's like, Scott, where are you going with this? Yeah, you're- I really want to know. <laughs> so when I was in the hotel this weekend, because you know we travel in on a Thursday and we leave Sunday, I had I just had a TV station on, and as I was packing or unpacking, whatever. And much like w- when you're in Hawaii, Oh, everybody goes there, don't they? I mean, just... No, I mean, remember, and you'll see where I'm going. I remember as a kid, it's like, they have no weathermen. There's no weather forecast because the weather is always the weather. And they were using, uh, you know, chroma key where the guy stands in front of the weather map in sports. And I'm like, this is really cool. Why is there no weather? So, but when I'm in Iowa, the TV's on and they have a full agricultural segments in, in the news and stuff. And uh, I mean, like agricultural news from a, like around the world, how it affects what they're doing in Iowa and then just local Iowa stories. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, there is, especially if you're there, like the midday news, it is certainly uh, something that a lot of uh, folks will tune into uh, for their local, I don't know, as part of their local, as local news there. But uh, yeah. Uh, it is, of course, it's no, it's no secret. Iowa is a big agricultural state, so um, uh, an extension for Iowa plays a big role in that because of it. But uh, there are, of course, many, many folks across the state who aren't in, directly involved with agriculture every day, but are directly involved with their own yards and their own gardening. And, uh, and I think that's one of the ways that many people uh, get connected to the extension offices. We used to think of of gardening slash agriculture as more of a um, a rural thing. Uh, you made mention of 4-H. Well, are you noticing that ever since COVID, 
that there seems to be an insurgence of curiosity on how to grow, especially in the urban areas, um, urban agriculture, urban gardening, urban farming, uh, things of that nature? Yeah, there has been. I, there certainly has been, uh, always been a big interest in gardening, but there were a lot of people who started gardening um, when they started spending a lot more time at home the spring of 2020. And so we certainly saw that here in Iowa, just like uh, many folks saw across the country. So, uh, I mean, I think I saw, I mean, millions of people uh, started gardening um, and have continued to do that because it is such a great, uh, wonderful thing to do at home. Well, Scott's family owns a garden center, a couple of them actually, and they were afraid initially. It was a mapa, and you know, they were afraid that the government was going to shut everything down. Well, they were considered to be what was the word that they used? Um, uh, essential. That's essential. What it is. Yes. That's it. Well, anyway, uh, they've noticed that you know, as soon as the vegetables came out, boom, they were gone. As soon as the seeds came out, boom, they were gone. And people that generally would not uh, garden were doing it. People that didn't know how to garden were doing it. Are you finding that you're educating more now than you were in the past? Well, there certainly was a huge uptick in how many folks were con uh, contacting both their county extension offices, but also just um, visiting uh, our kind of gardening website. Um, and hopefully, as a extension specialist in consumer horticulture, hopefully we can provide really good advice to folks across the state. And I think a lot of folks, you know, they certainly did um, find us um, as they were starting this new adventure at home in gardening, um, uh, as they were spending more time at home. And being outside was one of those things that uh, folks were felt very comfortable doing. Um, that time at that time. And, you know, it is, it is a wonderful thing to do, I think. So, um, I, I hope that, uh, County Extension Office, uh, was one of those great sources of information for them to start that new journey. In Ohio, we know that that is one of the, the, the ways that it did work. Scott's, uh, company, his wife's company, basically, if there was a question that they didn't have direct answers to, they would refer to the Ohio State University extension here in Lucas County. Now, when it comes to 4-H, that was something that I learned in the 60s, but then it seems to have faded away. Especially now, we're finding out that people are getting more and more interested in preservation of their, their pickles or their beets or their beans or making salsas. And it's there's ignorance out there, and that's a four-letter word in my book. They're finding it very, very difficult to learn unless they get extension. Is your extension or are your extensions in each one of those counties being overwhelmed with the questions on this? You know, I don't know if I would say it's overwhelmed, but they certainly have seen a big uh, increase in it. And um, it is a great, um, I think, opportunity for them to share uh, what goes on across uh, the state um, and what uh, we know and have learned about gardening across the state 
um, through research at Iowa State and, and, and a lot of other places too. So there certainly has been a big uptick in that. And there are certainly a lot of places that people can go for information on gardening. And some of them are much more reliable than others. And I would hope that through the County Extension Office and through the resources um, that Iowa State Extension and Outreach can provide, they can be really reliable and good sources of information about gardening uh, for Iowans and for, for uh, the Midwest. Box stores don't have the answers for them. They sell the products, but they don't have the answers. The important thing, like I know how Mike and I have set up this podcast a, a bit, and it's not because if it's by necessarily design, it's that uh, I'm, even though my wife's in the business, I'm a newbie, I'm a tech guy. So when they needed help at the, at the store, I started going in. Um, and so I'm learning. So we really wanted to keep the podcast no crazy Latin names. If it's a coneflower, it's a coneflower only. Texas Media Brown Eye, it's a you. Leave it alone. Because I just think that helping people getting started in gardening, the simpler you keep it, and the more success people think they have and, and, and they learn and grow. So I, I just really think that the extensions offices, they keep the language simple. Everybody's a lot happier and a lot more excited about coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that too, that, um, you know, we, as a horticulturist, we, can um, accidentally intimidate folks with all of those mm-hmm. Latin names. But uh, we, we do have this kind of um, unique kind of uh, connection because many people do enjoy gardening. Many people um, create these communities around it that um, I think I think are, are really wonderful. So I, I wouldn't want to get in the way with that with some kind of um, kind of <laughs> kind of Latin name or something like that. But it is it is something that um, a lot of people do enjoy and hopefully connect with. Well, this this allows me to go into rather than you know we're noticing that there are certain things that are happening in Northwest Ohio that let's just say the experts can throw some things our direction that people are going, I don't care what you call it. I just want to control it. We've had situations from Foxtail to um, Emerald Ash Borer to Lanternfly to Army Worm, you name it. People just generally don't get it and they want to know how or what to expect if something's coming their direction. For instance, Japanese beetle came around in 1968 Everybody thought everything was going to die. We're dead. We're doomed. What are we going to do to control it? We can't. Everybody's running for the hills. Well, come to find out that they're still here. We didn't eradicate it, but they did the air spraying. They did all sorts of stuff. Um, that beetle's not going away, but we can basically live with it now. At the time, it was something that we were totally paranoid and petrified of. What are you finding right now that's coming your direction that maybe we as Northwest Ohioans could probably assist you with and or vice versa. What is it something that we can benefit from you? You know, um, I think, uh, you know, Japanese beetle is something that, uh, you know, in the middle of summer, a lot of folks do talk about here in Iowa. Uh, but the 
the, I think one of the big things that you guys in Ohio have definitely encountered that we are seeing in a big way here in Iowa is emerald ash borer uh, because it has such a big impact on such a, um, an important shade tree for much of the Midwest, which um, is, is being so negatively impacted uh, by that um, introduced insect. And, you know, the Midwest is where that um, pest was first kind of introduced, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the ports of, of Detroit and has spread kind of out from there. And um, boy, we see it here and we are in the middle of it here um, in terms of how, um, how it has impacted folks and, and trees are important to people. And it's, it's, it's a big deal when you see such a, um, a big important plant in your yard start to decline so quickly in many cases and dramatically um, because of this, this, this pest insect. So um, I, I've been hearing a lot of folks talk about this and it gives us a great opportunity to talk more about how important it is uh, to plant diversely for our, our, our urban and suburban landscapes when it comes to trees because um, things like this can make a big impact and, and we see that. Mike, uh, emerald ash was in our area heavily eight years, eight, ten eight years? Ten, yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. And you were in the middle of it. Right. What do you have to say to Iowa? Well, there's a control factor here, and there's a product, uh, and correct me, please, if I'm not pronouncing this right, but it's called the Matacloprid, and we nickname it Merit, where you would get that and you would measure the circumference of the trunk of the tree approximately four feet up off of the ground, and then you used one ounce for every inch of the circumference. So if you had a 36-inch circumference um, trunk at four feet, you would use 36 ounces of this mixed in water, approximately three to five gallons of water and poured right at the base of the trunk. What that would do is it would absorb into the system of the, it would go up through the phloem, it would absorb into the system of the plant and it would inoculate that plant for, or that tree for one season and one season only. And that was something that we found helps to control it. However, not everybody's savvy enough to be able to do that themselves. There are companies that can do that also. What is it that the state of Iowa is doing? You know, uh, for us here in Iowa, you, one of the big, certainly you can treat and prevent emerald ash borer through the use of things like imidacloprid and, and lots of other uh, potential products, but it is something that you have to do for the rest of the tree's life right. to protect it. Yeah. And, for many of us, that's just not something that is very practical. And so um, for for us uh, here in Iowa, one of the things that we have been recommending is, um, you know, when you see this thing in your neighborhood, um, you know, if it is something, it is going to impact your tree. It's not a matter of if, but when. Yeah. And, you know, what would probably be a better approach is to enjoy that tree as long as possible, but have kind of a kind of have like a, a game plan for what you can do uh, to replace that tree. Um, and hopefully you're doing that with something um, diverse 
you know, something that's not necessarily a maple or an oak, but, you know, a Kentucky coffee tree or some of the new hybrid elms. Now see, those, or are natural, a those are native to the areas, like right. Yeah. Um, my question here is, is that we're noticing, now I could be corrected, I got to get a hold of Amy Stone, who's the Lucas County Extension agent here in Ohio. Um, but I know once the food source is gone, they're going to move on. Um, I'm just venturing on the fact that if you can save or try to save a tree through the duration of, I mean, I don't want to compare it to anything that any human beings have to hold on to for the rest of their lives. But if it's a tree worth having, it's a tree worth keeping. And you could go ahead. If it's on your property, do that. But 50 years ago, plus in Northwest Ohio, we had this problem with the elm trees and it was called the Dutch elm disease where they would line boulevards with these beautiful trees that would give a great canopy, especially in autumn when it would turn that bright yellow gold. But then the tree itself became um, diseased with this, uh, this Dutch elm problem. And I didn't know this, but I found out through this that these trees, once the root systems connect, they become one ecosystem of themselves rather than 20 different trees. Huh. So you would basically, like you're saying right now, let's get something a little bit more diverse involved here. Let's not mm -hmm. stick with the same type of tree that can totally annihilate communities, but we can have diversification and go strictly native. Is that what you're insinuating? Yeah. So, um, no, you don't necessarily have to stay native, but we certainly like uh, planting native trees because they well they are well adapted to our our climate. But there are many other things that can do that too. And certainly, um, you know, a suburban neighborhood isn't isn't a, a native or um, natural ecosystem per se, right? So uh, we would love to have native trees in that, in that ecosystem and certainly many native trees would do really well, but there are also other maybe non-native trees that could do well too. And because this isn't a, a natural ecosystem, it's something that's created, it, you don't have to necessarily have um, a native tree to do well in that, um, certainly it could, but there are many other plants that can too. And I think when we see these exotic pests come in and do such so much damage uh, to something like ash trees, it really does kind of emphasize the idea that, yeah, it, it, it can be nice to have these native trees like green ash and white ash, right. but it also can be really great to have other plants there too so that we don't see this huge impact on our shade and our, our tree canopy uh, in our neighborhoods because we have planted diversely and we have other things that uh, can do well that um, won't be impacted by a single pest like this. Um, yeah, so I think that's... You Is know. it illegal to transport lumber or firewood? Um, I don't... Uh, whether it's illegal or not... Um, oh, we're, I, oh, we're I catching all know, sorts of criminals up here. Yeah, well, here's, <laughs> here's where Mike's going with this, is that with the number of cities that opted to take the emerald ash trees out, they just were cutting them left and right... They also, since at least here in Toledo, we are stones throw from the Michigan line and it became illegal to 
any of this wood to go over the state lines. They didn't want it traveling further uh, voluntarily mm-hmm. transported, I'll say. So that ended up, what that ended up doing was ruining uh, the firewood business um, for like, you know, our garden center and some other places that would supply a lot of firewood for homes. And, mm. you know, we do a lot of business right over the Michigan line, several miles into Michigan, and that cut all of that out. So whatever you guys can do to uh, get rid of the boar, the better off that type of secondary type business or just secondary, you know, survival of, with firewood is going to be shot. Well, now here's here's another thing. Scott's uh, was out, you know, out in a boot in Iowa. Uh, this last weekend, but they had people in the hotel that he was at, or was it your booth? They were chasing a big, beautiful butterfly. Yeah, it was in the hotel. They it, were chasing this butterfly. Well, what was this butterfly looking like? Uh, it, I, the guy had a fly swatter. <laughs> the bellman had a fly swatter, and he's like trying to shoo him out. And I, and they're like, "Well, look at that butterfly. We got to get him." I said, "Sir, that is not our butterfly." <laughs> That is a lanternfly who looks gorgeous when his wings are wide open and in flight. But I said, yeah, you might want to get rid of that. Have you, I mean, obviously if the hotel saw it, how much of the lantern flying are you guys seeing now? Because I saw a lot uh, last year when I was out in Maryland doing football, it was, they were all over the place there. So Aaron, what have you as an extension been able to warn Iowans about the lanternfly? You know, this is something that we have become very aware of because it is a a pretty um, significant pest uh, if it were in Iowa. We haven't seen this pest officially um, in Iowa, uh, at least yet, but it certainly is something that Um, Extension and uh, the Iowa Department of Agriculture have been very, um, very uh, vocal about sharing with folks to be on the lookout for uh, a a pest like this. Um, But, you know, we haven't we haven't seen it yet um, uh, officially. Um, So, (laughs) well, unofficially, I I know where one is (laughs) or was or was. Yes. I honestly would be really surprised if it was a spotted lanternfly. Um, there are a lot of other very colorful, very big insects like that 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 it could be. Um, I, I would certainly want to know. Uh, I would certainly want folks to report that and um, and and let us know about it because that is something that would be pretty significant for us here in Iowa, considering we haven't had. Uh, any reported cases of it, certainly in in Iowa City or Johnson County there, um, but uh, um, officially in the state, uh, that would be something we would definitely want to hear about. Well, do they hitchhike as well? I mean, with the Emerald Ash Borer, they were afraid of uh, hitchhikers and then going from state to state. I mean, Mm. is there a possibility, a strong possibility, that they could be hitchhiking, especially since it's football season, and Scott could have taken the lanternfly from Ohio and brought it over to his his, uh, uh, hotel that he's in and everybody's chasing it around. But I'm. <laughs> well, I would be really surprised if that happened in his suitcase or something. <laughs> well, he's got other things in there. Uh, um, All right, now I'm going to get searched everywhere. Yeah, you are. 
that, I mean, that's going to allow it to be segueing into another thing that we've had. And I'm wondering if you have this. Last year at this time, we were fighting what we considered to be something, a new invasion, which was something that we do not normally see here, which is what, what we call, what was it, a fall army worm? Or fall just, army worm, yes, sir. And they got here, what, through the stratosphere? Yes. And they blamed it on a hurricane? We don't have hurricanes here in the Midwest. But they, they, they do where they came from. Well, now, <laughs> so they went into the stratosphere. And, the, and then they opted to land in Northwest Ohio. They wanted to go, well, I can raise my kids here. They got a great school system and, in the, you know, look, the neighborhood. look at all great. those green grasses. Yeah. All right. So that's what they did. All right. Aaron, did you have a problem with this animal? You know, last year we saw something very similar here, especially in southeast Iowa, where we had army worm uh, come in. And it's not something that we see typically in Iowa. And yeah, it was it was something that uh, we had kind of a, a, a perfect kind of can you know a perfect storm, storm if you will that yeah. kind of came together and one of it was because there was this uh at the right time um at the you know right time and place there was this uh a situation that kind of allowed this or blew this you know this pest into uh quite literally in some cases uh into our area and Certainly, we have had fall armyworm in Iowa uh, occasionally uh, in the past. They are a very conspicuous pest because they 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 show up everywhere when you see them. Oh right? yeah, like they you mm -hmm. can and and it is something that is of concern, especially for for us here in Iowa. It's a big concern for um, like alfalfa growers, um, but it can also be a big issue on golf courses and and stuff like that. For us here in Iowa, fall armyworm is such an infrequent um, occurrence. It certainly can happen, and it has happened uh, on and off, like every every uh, ten or fifteen years, right? But it's not something that we see on a regular basis, and they don't overwinter here. So it is something. It almost becomes like a an oddity, kind of like. Uh, uh, the the cicada might be right where it comes out and you're like wow this was a big event but not something we see all the time and mm -hmm. that certainly was true for fall armyworm for us here last year we saw the exact same thing and uh, we didn't see it this year though so it was something that kind of came in um, it was uh, likely due to a big weather event at the right time at the right place that was able to transport these these little these little guys up to our area, but they're not going to overwinter here. And uh, it's not something that is going to be kind of a reoccurring pest for us, thankfully. Um, so it was it was kind of an anomaly that was very noticeable, especially for uh, southeast Iowa. It sounds like the same thing happened for you guys in Ohio, but thankfully isn't something we're dealing with year after year. The good thing is, and I believe this was, I'm not originally from this area. So I'm looking at Mike and he's nodding that this really was the first time that we've had this since he's been alive. I'll say yeah. that, that it, way. But the good news is that we know how to attack it now and it's not going to be, you know, a 911 if it happens again, people are going to be a little more educated. Uh, yeah. I, I want to ask you about your guys' summer out there and how things went 
that wise because I did hear one of the local guys uh, at the stadium talk about, uh, first of all, he didn't water his grass. He admitted that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know how much he watered his garden, but he said he had cracks as wide as his fingers in the ground. And I was like, well, that's not good. So was that just him or how was your summer? You know, for us here in Iowa, we had kind of a, we did have kind of a, a on the dry side summer. Certainly wasn't any kind of, um, you know, uh, noteworthy drought, but we did have, a, especially in July and August, we had a big stretch there where we didn't see a lot of rain. And that's not necessarily typical for us. We do tend to have pretty regular rain, although it is drier in the summer than it is in spring. Um, and for many folks across the state, we definitely saw our, our lawns go dormant this summer. Uh, if you weren't irrigating, they definitely went dormant. We grow, as I suspect a lot of folks in Ohio do, we grow cool season grasses here. They do not like our, our hot summers. Um, and without irrigation, we can sometimes see them go dormant. And we definitely saw that this summer for us here in Iowa. But then as soon as I say that, you know, we just had this really soaking rain that came across much of the state uh, this last weekend. We had the same thing happen about a week and a half ago. So, you know, we do have kind of mild or moderate drought situation maybe across the state, but it hasn't been something like uh, other parts of the country may have faced like I've heard in in places like Western Texas or uh, something like that, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I know that rain. I was out in that rain packing a few fifty-three <laughs> yes, <yeah>. foot trucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It, you know, from a gardener standpoint, I was really happy to see it. it was oh this yeah, wonderful kind of slow soaking rain. Every one of every drop that came down kind of went into my garden, which I was very thankful to see. You know, I was a little disappointed. I wasn't able to get out and get some planting done that I would have loved to have done since uh, for us here in Iowa, uh, kind of early September is a great time to do fall planting. I missed that opportunity this weekend because of that rain, but I'm not going to I'm not going to be mad at it. It was nice to see (laughs) such a wonderful soaking rain. Consumer horticulturist, extension specialist for Iowa State University or the state of Iowa, Aaron Style. Uh, You're going to have the floor right now. What were your pet either peeves or interests right now that you could probably, let's say, tell or express to the listening audience right now? And or is there anything that you would like to that we didn't touch on, touch on? You know, well, what would be my pet peeve from uh, from this (laughs) summer? You know, for us. Uh, or for me in particular, one of the things that um, I had seen a lot of uh, this summer, but it's something that we see uh, typically every year, is um, it's related to kind of post post planting tree care. You know, a lot of us love to plant trees in the spring, and spring is a great time to plant trees. And we may water it. You know, when we water it when we plant it, of course. And we may follow up with watering for a few weeks after that, but then. There are so many folks who just, I don't know if they forget or if they think the tree is fine, they just stop watering it. And you get a lot of, uh, that tree is really stressed out and uh, without kind of regular watering through the summer into the fall after it's planted in the spring. 
And I've, I've gotten a lot of questions about, uh, you know, newly planted trees that are really not doing well. And in almost all cases, it's just because we have been doing a good job of watering. And when Mother Nature doesn't help us, and she certainly didn't do that this summer for us here in Iowa, uh, those trees do um, show a lot of stress signs. And uh, they, they often will blame, you know, maybe it's a disease or an insect. And in most cases, it's just, well, you got to get out there and water that on a regular basis. And most trees after they're planted, they need regular watering, certainly for the first year, but often for the first two or three years. Not every week, of course, but certainly they need to be watered when conditions get dry. And boy, there's a lot of homeowners who don't do a good job of that. And that can be a little frustrating for me because we see it so often and so frequently. And, and it is something I, I wish I could, you know, say, you know, shout from a rooftop, yeah. water your newly planted tree, please. <laughs> I mean, it, they're basically babies. I mean, you got to treat it almost like a human baby. You, a lot of TLC in the beginning. Oh, no, we yeah. have plenty of formula. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is something, you know, and for me, one of the things that's that can sometimes be difficult to get across is that it doesn't mean that you water every, you know, every three days. Right. But you should be checking on it on a regular basis, not every three days necessarily, but right. at least once a week getting out there and checking that. And if it needs water, getting out there and doing a good watering. And if it doesn't need water, like it certainly doesn't this week after the rain we had here in Iowa, much of the state anyway, uh, this last weekend, making sure that you at least check and know, okay, yep, we're good this time, but I'm gonna check again, um, you know, in five or seven days to make sure that it's not an issue later on. That is so important and so hard for, to, to kind of communicate because I feel like it's like a feast or famine thing, right? Like people either out there watering every, every week and then the tree drowns or, they're not watering at all and the tree dries up. And, and so getting out there and kind of doing that regular checking and then water if it's needed is so important for that tree, especially in the first year, but even in the first two or three years, um, I, I would love for people to do that uh, on a regular basis. It would be so wonderful for their tree. No, that's great advice because, I mean, we're in our third season on this podcast. We haven't even discussed tree health at all in the in the past three seasons, yeah. Mike, yeah. I blame you. You're blaming me, and I, I you know what? I, I will accept <laughs> the blame. I mean, from what Aaron ended up saying, I got a question. I mean, yeah, maple trees have tar spot. Tell people to leave it alone; it's not going to damage or hurt the tree. I don't know how many leaves you had brought into your store yeah. to diagnose that. Chlorosis. Chlorosis can be because of a number of things. I mean, when you can see the veins of the tree when it's supposed to, on the leaves when they're supposed to be a deep green. And it's like a light yellow green and you can see the veins going through it. Chlorotic conditions due to either drought or the lack of micronutrients in the soil if you got all pure sand. But from what Aaron is basically saying is the trees themselves need attention. Like anything new, anything else, if you put it in there and let it take its own course, well, you're going to get what you put into it. Now, do these bag of, not bag of bugs, but do these bags, water bags help at all? You know, the water bags can be very helpful, but I think sometimes they give a false sense of security. Mm -hmm. The water bag is wonderful for a good deep watering. Most of those bags empty in 12 hours, mm. 
So it's not something that um, keeps your plant watered for weeks at a time. It's a great watering aid. You still have to check your tree on a regular basis. Yeah, it's the tool. Instead of yeah. running a hose out and a nozzle, you just fill that bag and knowing that it's going to work for the next 12 hours, giving that tree a nice feed. So you can get yeah, it more, nice, good, like, deep watering, yeah. okay. but it isn't going to keep that tree uh, well watered for weeks at a time. It's it's a tool, yeah. Right. It's a and it's a wonderful uh, new tool that is available for a lot of gardeners now to make it easier to uh, give a good deep watering to that newly planted tree. But it certainly isn't a replacement for checking on your tree and watering when needed on a regular basis. Aaron Style, Iowa State University Consumer Horticulture. Extension specialist has been answering <laughs> questions that I've got a hundred more to go with, but we're running out of time here. Is there any way that we could keep getting in touch with you so that we could go ahead and, you know, I don't want to pester, but I want to pester. You're going to be our go-to person that, you know, <laughs> if there's a question that we have in the Midwest in that region, we can go to Aaron style for. Oh, I, I, I always enjoy uh, answering questions and, and talking to folks and yeah, you know, Mike, you can reach out anytime. Aaron, thank you, sir. He won't let me do it, but you can. Well, I'll see. It's <laughs> got to, you know. We've we got a little tug I, I would of enjoy war talking going. to both of you <laughs> and no, answering questions. I thank you very much, Aaron, because I get to see statistics on our listeners on our podcast, and there are a lot in Iowa, and that's kind of why we came out and, you know, raised our hand to see if you would like to join us because uh, – I mean, I was, I was impressed that we have that many listeners in Iowa. And that's why we didn't want to just touch on, you know, like Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan. You know, I, we wanted to spread the love a little bit and see what else yeah. we can incorporate. And, and when there's something that pops up that Aaron has, he goes, hey, guys, I want to bring this to the attention of Iowans right Let's now. Do Are you show. doing this something on this? Yeah, I'd like to do that. Yep. Yeah, that would be that's that's that would be great. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, I want to thank Aaron Style for being here with us. Again, he's the Consumer Horticulturist Extension Specialist for Iowa State University. He's answering questions that most of the Iowans or Midwesterners basically need answers to that we can't give. But with people such as himself, the experts that are out there, the professionals, they're helping us. What do you say, Scott? I say thank you very much, Aaron, and uh, we will help um, put uh, the website and stuff in our show notes and information to help people get a hold of you that are out there. And uh, thank you so much. I'm not going to give them the well, personal phone number here. No, no, no. <laughs> no. All right. Well, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to talk to folks, and, and hopefully I get a chance to answer more questions in the future. Oh, you will. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> Thank you much, everybody. We'll see you uh, next show. Uh, yeah, well, okay. I'm Michael Rourke, the garden guy, and that's Scott. He's not. Yeah, I'm not a garden guy. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Aaron. We'll talk to you later, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at Your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.